We've been talking the last few weeks about the resurrection of the dead. And today I want to talk to you about uh, what's going to happen for those of us that are still living when the Lord returns to resurrect the dead. Three questions we're going to answer today straight out of Scripture. The, the first is, what happens to those of us that are still living when the Lord returns? Second, how do we know for certain what's going to happen to our bodies in the future? And, and third, what does, what does any of this mean for us right now while we're waiting the Lord's return? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which we'll be at today, we'll look at the verses 50 through 58. So we think about looking towards the future, it seems like there's a whole genre of movies that are about uh, predicting the future. I've seen movies about time travel, people going forward and coming back to make changes. We've seen people where people get a, the fortune told to them and they make all these different changes. And perhaps you've ever wondered, uh, watching those fantasy movies, what could we do with knowledge of the future? And of course, the first thing that comes to most people's minds is, well, we could go back and we could invest in Apple and Amazon and all those companies and we could get rich off the stock market. And some of us could go back and we could undo accidents. And there's all kinds of things that we could do, perhaps, if we knew the future. But the Bible doesn't tell us everything that's ever going to happen to us, but it does tell us with great clarity what's going to happen to our bodies. The Bible tells us that the Lord is going to return again as certain as he came the first time, and then when he does, that he's going to resurrect the dead. And the Bible also tells us what's going to take place to those of us who are still living. And knowing that knowledge with absolute certainty what's going to take place, surely, surely, it would change how we live as we begin to prepare for that day and as we begin to live a life in light of his coming. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to ask you, would you join me in standing just out of honor and reverence for God's word as we begin reading in verse 50. Here's what the Bible says. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's pray together. Father, we give thanks today that you have explained this mystery to us. For many, there's not nearly enough to tell. But for those of us who believe in faith, you've given us all we need to trust in you, and to live for that day. 
So, Father, I pray for the next few moments as we walk through this passage that you'll give us insight and understanding. Father, I pray through the Holy Spirit you'll speak to the heart of every listener. And may they be receptive to the message you have for them. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Bible tells us here that the dead will be resurrected, but the living will be raptured. As we think about who we are, it's so important for us to all understand that we are more than just a mere body. You and I have a soul. We have a spirit. There's more to us than simply what we can see. Think about this for a moment. For hundreds of years, we all lived on this planet with bacteria. But no one had the technology to see it. No one. And yet for hundreds of years, we coexisted with it, not knowing that it was there. And today, because of technology, we're able, to, we're able to see bacteria. Just because you can't see something does not mean that it is not real. And there's more to us, and there's more to life than what we can see. You're not just a body. You have a soul and a spirit. When Nicodemus asked Jesus about the spirit, he was confused. Jesus said the spirit was like the wind. You, you can't see the wind, but you can see where it blows. And so it is with the spirit. And so it is with us. There's more to us than just a mere physical body. We have a spirit and we have a soul. And throughout this whole chapter, the Bible has emphasized that we must be transformed in order to inherit what God has in store for us. And so the Bible says in verse 50 that we must be changed. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So even though we have a soul and we have a spirit, the Bible says that we have to be more than flesh and blood in order to inherit the kingdom of God. Listen to that conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus from John chapter 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, in the early part of the Gospel of John, we see this over and over again, where people cannot grasp the message of Jesus because they get past the literal. They can't get past the physical. And so the same thing happens next when Jesus talks to the woman at the well, and she says, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And she said, sir, the well is deep, and you don't even have a bucket. She couldn't understand because she couldn't get past what she could see. And if you can't get past just what you can see about yourself and what you can see about the world, you're going to have a very difficult time understanding what God has in store for you. And so Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless... One is born of water and the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So listen to this. So Jesus says, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Bible tells us over and over again that we must be more than just merely flesh and blood to inherit the kingdom of God. There's more to us than what we can merely see. The Bible also tells us in this passage in verse 50 that our current state is perishable. And I think we all know that. We're all in the process of dying. The Bible says in verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, the amazing thing about the good news about Jesus is that he has more in store for us than most of us even desire for ourselves. He offers us eternal life and eternal hope. He's offering to take that which is perishable and make it imperishable. And God has revealed to us, he has revealed, that is, he has, he has uncovered this mystery and so the Bible says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So God has revealed a mystery with us, to us. We could not know what was to come without God's revelation. And so how do we know what the future holds? God has revealed it to us. So the Bible says that this mystery is that the living will be changed in the same manner as the dead. He says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So the Bible describes what's going to take place when the Lord returns. For those of us that have already passed on, the body is going to be resurrected and the soul is going to be reunited with the body. That's why the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. That's why it says that he'll return with his saints. And yet how is it that he can return with us and yet at the same time we can be resurrected? Because when you die, the soul separates from the body. But this is not God's desired state for us. God's desired state is for us to have a new body, a resurrected body, a changed body, a transformed body, a body that's free from the power of sin, a body that's no longer corruptible, a body that's no longer in the constant state of dying and growing old because of the effects of sin. There was a very sweet, dear man that I pastored many, many years ago, and he'd been in an accident, and he lost a leg. When he, when he died, his, his wife, you know, he died, he died young. His wife was very overcome with emotion, and and she was just talking and jumping from one thing to the next. And, and all of a sudden, she, it just came out of her mouth. She says, she says well, now, now he's, he's up there walking around. He's up there. He, he's no longer missing a leg. He's got both legs. And I would never respond in a moment like that. I'd have smiled and patted her on the back and let her talk. But the reality is, is that he, he doesn't have both legs. He will one day when his dead body is resurrected, 
But when we go to be with the Lord, we don't take on a new body. We go in spirit. And one day at the return of the Lord is when we receive our new glorified body like the Lord Jesus had after his resurrection. And for those of us that are still living, we're not going to miss out on anything. The Bible says that we too will be changed in the same way. And so he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, meaning we shall not all die. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So the Bible begins to describe what we call the, the rapture, the being, the being caught up in verses 52 through 53. He says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. So the Bible says that, first of all, the, the, the return of the Lord is going to be sudden, and it's going to be unexpected. And at this moment, as it describes uh, the transformation that's going to take place in our bodies, it says it's going to happen in just a moment. It says, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. And another passage in Scripture, the Bible explains this, this same event. And here's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verses 13 through 18. But we not, do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So when the Lord returns, those who have already gone on, they're going to come with him, the Bible says. For we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So, so, so where did Paul get this message? The Lord revealed it to him. We declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Now, when we think about the end times, the purpose of the Bible telling us about the end times is not to scare us, and it's not to entertain us either. The Bible says here, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The reason that God has revealed to us what's going to take place is so that we can encourage one another. So that when we stand one day, the graveside of our mother, father, brother, sister, wife, husband, son, daughter, when we stand there, and we know that they have shared our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. For we know that we have a hope that can't be tampered with and can't be undone. And it can't fade. And it can't go away. And it can't become outdated. And it can't become replaced. We know for certainty that God has revealed to us this mystery. That one day he's going to return. The dead are going to be raised. And we shall be changed then we receive this gift that God desires to give us to restore that was lost through sin and rebellion against God. So how do we know that this is true? Well, I very intentionally today read a lot of Scripture 
Because I want you to understand these are God's words and, and not mine. God tells us these things very plainly about what's going to take place. And we see in verses 54 through 57 that this is a completion of God's prophecy. Prophecy meaning that God told in advance what he was going to do so that when he did it, we would know for certain that it was his action. He told in advance what he was going to do so that for those of us that believe and trust in him, we would have hope as we look forward to what he has promised. And so the Bible says in verse 54, it says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Now, when the Bible says that it's, something is written or that is written, it's almost always referring to written in Scripture. You'll see different places where the, Jesus says you've heard it said, and said versus written is almost always used to distinguish a reference to some uh, common belief or some other writing. When it says it's written, it means it is written in Scripture. And so where is this written? Well, Isaiah. Well, well let's read what's written first. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? So we go back to the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, here's what he wrote. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Another Old Testament prophet, Hosea, listen to what Hosea said. Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol, meaning the grave? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your plagues? O Sheol, where is your sting? So the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that these prophecies shall be fulfilled. They shall be completed when the Lord returns and he raises the dead and changes the living. And so when I look around and I see the world and there's so much darkness, and I, this week I was talking with some of the staff and I said, I truly believe the world is much darker than most people realize or even want to believe. It's a very dark place that we live in. Just this week we saw murder in our community. It's a dark, dark world. And many of us in this room, there's, there's going to be times in our life that we're either going to suffer tragedy or we're going to live through sickness, loss of loved ones. And the reason the Lord has told us what's going to take place is so that we wouldn't put our hope in this life. If your desire is to make sure that nothing ever happens to your marriage or to your children, if your desire is to have total peace and security, health and wealth, most of us will never attain it. And those that do will find that it is more illusion than reality. Our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us this prophecy. That is, he has told us in advance what he is going to do to give us hope 
That's why Paul said in Thessalonians, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Bible tells us here that these prophecies will be fulfilled and we will no longer be under the law. In verse 56, he says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. That is the Old Testament law that none of us are able to keep. The Bible tells us that God gave us this law so that we might understand that we were sinners in need of salvation. He didn't give us the law to save us. He gave us the law to help drive us toward salvation. And the Bible says that one day we'll no longer be under the condemnation of the law, completely set free. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible describes this victory in this manner. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is the reason that that we all die, the reason that we all need to be redeemed from the perishable to the imperishable, but because we're all under the effects of sin. But the Bible tells us that this message is meant to be hopeful and encouraging. Hopeful and encouraging, recognizing what God has in store for us. So listen to what the Bible says in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So the Bible says here that as we think about what does this mean for the future, we, we know what's going to happen if we're still living when the Lord returns. The Bible says we're going to be changed in a moment and we're going to be caught up to meet him in the air. How do we know this is going to really happen? Well, everything else that the Lord has prophesied and promised has happened thus far, so why wouldn't we believe? So when we see his promises have been fulfilled over and over and over again, it gives us reason to believe that he'll continue to fulfill his promises in the future. And so what does that mean for us right now? Well, it means that, that we need to live driven and encouraged by the hope of reward. The Bible uses these two words, steadfast, immovable. Be steadfast and immovable. As I think back to, to my life so far, I've seen a lot of change. I just really have seen so much change. And I've seen other things that have withstood the test of time. As I think back on uh, the churches that I've seen kind of come and go. There was, there was a church back in East Tennessee that when I was in church planning, they got started, and the pastor has had a lot of personality, and he's you know, super energetic, and he had a lot of money to work with, a lot of supporters, and they got it going really fast, and they grew it really fast. And everybody was kind of amazed that, wow, this church is just going so big, and it's so fast, and, well, it's closed today. It doesn't exist anymore. Seeing different people come and go in areas of ministry. And I've seen people get so excited about different things and later to, to, to drift away and fall away from the faith. Yet at the same time, I, I, I look back and I see this small church where I was saved at in the country. 
And I think the thing that makes perhaps the biggest impact on me is that 40 years later, the same men are sitting with the same women. They're sitting in the same seat, too, by the way. They don't move around. Consistency. Consistency. The Bible says, knowing what is to come, it should lead us to be steadfast and immovable. Steadfast and immovable is the idea of a person that's not blown here and there by every trend and by every controversy. But they are grounded and persistent. And so Hosea 12, 6, this is what he says. So you, by the help of your God, return. Hold fast to love and justice and wait continually for your God. Because we know the Lord is returning, we don't know when. The Bible says this should drive us to be steadfast and immovable, to hold fast to love and justice, and to wait continually, to be persistent. The Bible tells us in verse 58, we're also in the present time to abound in the work of the Lord. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We often think of God calling us to believe something, and he has. And many times we think of the Lord calling us to be something, and he has. But we never move beyond the Lord calling us to do something. There is, there is a work to be done. As we serve the Lord, there's work involved in being Christian fathers and mothers and employees. There's work to be done in serving in the church. There's work to be done in impacting people in the community. There's work to be done. When I was in Atlanta, I got to know a, a very wealthy businessman. He was, at the point in his life, he didn't really have to work. He just kind of breezed by and check on his businesses every once in a while. And we were, we were talking one day, and, and I don't remember the context, but something came up about being independently wealthy. And usually when I'm around wealthy people, I just joke about being independently broke because that's the only the way I really relate to them. And so we were talking about that, and, and, and he said something about, what if I were to come into a, to a, a large sum of money? And I said, well, I, I said, I don't think much would change for me. I might get a new car. I'd probably pay my house off. I might get a new pair of shoes. I don't know. And I don't think much would change for me. And he said, well, you wouldn't still be pastoring, would you? I said, yeah. He said, if you didn't need any money to live and you had everything you needed, you'd, you'd still be pastoring that church over there. I said, yes, I, I would. The Lord has called me to a work. When we look forward at the return of Christ, it should motivate us to be working in the present in preparation for the future. 
There's never a time in the Christian life that we have arrived. We are always in the process of serving the Lord until our last day. So Galatians 6, 9, it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. The last thing that the Bible tells us in this passage is extremely encouraging to me. Because I, I found that Christian ministry and influence is very difficult to measure. Many times people measure the wrong things. They think they're doing well and they're not at all. Many times people can't see measurable results and the Lord is using them in a great way. And so listen to this promise the Lord gives us. He says, Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. You know, sometimes people confuse activity with productivity. Just because you're doing a lot of work doesn't mean that you're accomplishing anything. There's a lot of businesses that have all kinds of activity, tons of sales, all kinds of money rolling in. But if their expenses exceed their income, they're not making anything. There's a lot of people that in different areas of their life, they're working and working and working, and they're not accomplishing anything. Their labor is in vain. But the Bible says that whenever we work, for the Lord, our labor is not in vain. When we think about the Lord's return, it should encourage us. It should encourage us to stay steadfast and immovable. It should encourage us to work. The Bible says abounding in the work of the Lord. It should encourage us knowing that our work, our labor, is not in vain. God is doing something through us and through this church that's eternal in impact and scope. So when we think about the Lord's future return, resurrection of the dead, and rapture of the living, as Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, let us encourage one another with these words.